right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to uh, all of you out there online. I think we were having a little trouble with the live stream. Hopefully we got it up and running. We have uh, our pastor Epaphras from Tanzania is actually traveling and he is sharing our message live in Mozambique, in the capital of Mozambique this morning. So um, lots of cool stuff going on. Hey, welcome everybody. Um, if you're new here, uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Bob. I'm the, one of the lead pastors here, along with uh, my wife, who's downstairs getting set up right now. Um, but we are in a series called There is Power in the Body. And last week, I want to jump right in because I think this is so important. You know, we normally teach expositorily, which means we are going through Scripture line by line, verse by verse. We don't teach themes like an idea, um, but we're doing that this time for, for a few weeks anyway, because I think it's so important. I think as a church in general, I'm not talking about us here at this building at Discover, I'm talking about the church worldwide, we're starting to lose a sense of who we are. In many cases, we're, we're getting more of a sense, but we're bolstering down and hunkering down and thinking like, you know, it's us against the world. But in that, we tend to do that separately rather than corporately as a body. And that's what the enemy wants to do. We're going to talk about that today. But the body of Christ is so powerful. I spent last week introducing this series by talking about how it's not just a good idea that we gather together. You know, Scripture says, don't, don't forsake gathering together as some have started to do. And, and that's great, but it goes so much farther than that. It goes all the way back to the covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai that I will be among you and I will display my power around you and through you. And the Holy Spirit comes upon everybody on the day of Pentecost, all believers, gathering the Holy Spirit into them, giving you powers to do everything that Jesus did and more, he says. And we have a mission to do. And that power enables us to do the mission. So if I were to ask you, if I were to start right out and just say, as a follower of Christ, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, What's our mission? Shout it out, somebody. Hmm? To make disciples, right? Okay. To share the gospel. All of which are correct. I heard answers all over the place. All of which are correct. But really, if you boil it all down, it's to make Christ known. Really, isn't it? To make Christ known. And everything else then falls into place once we just simply make him known. And in that mission, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Okay? Scripture tells us we're ambassadors of Christ, empowered to carry out his message into the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So think about that. You are an ambassador of Christ. As though speaking 
as though God were making his appeal through you. Does that give you a sense of awe? That God has chosen you to be his ambassador in this world, to share his message, to make his appeal through you. If that doesn't give you a sense of awe, it should. Definition of ambassador, by the way, we all have different pictures of what we think an ambassador is, and it's mostly political. But think about this. The definition of ambassador through the dictionary, just Webster's Dictionary, definition of ambassador, is an agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign, or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. Okay, that's kind of a mouthful, right? But ambassadors act as the official liaison between their home country and the host country, right? That's typically what it boils down to. And they're responsible for conveying messages back and forth between the two governments, sometimes relaying Um, Good tidings, sometimes warnings. And it happens like that all the time. And it's information and instructions going back and forth, especially in times of conflict. That's when an ambassador really earns their keep, is when there's conflict. And you're trying to relay messages and be that go-between between the two countries so, Scripture tells us that you are an ambassador, okay? That's, there's no doubt about that. And we're going to talk about what that means here in just a minute. But not only are you an ambassador, but you are a child of God, an heir to the throne, with all of the rights of an heir to the throne of God. So you are an ambassador with all of that power. Let's talk about, that, about what that means. We talk about being a child of God, Ephesians 1.5. Again, Paul writes this. He, meaning God, predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose to adopt you. And that is not something that's done lightly. Anybody here who has ever gone through that process or been around somebody who has gone through that process, you know it's not easy. It's so much easier to just go have your own children. Nobody questions you. Nobody asks any questions. But when you want to adopt, now there are standards. Now there are questions. And there are all kinds of things you have to go through. It is not something to be done lightly. And this isn't a new thing either. This goes all the way back even before the Romans, but it was especially prevalent during the Roman era. They were very, very... um, well-versed in in what an adoption meant. It it meant, if you were a senator in Rome, you were expected to have offspring that was going to take up when you left, when you retired, when you died, anything that happened. You were expected to do that, and you couldn't become a senator unless you had that. So if you didn't have your own children, and by children I mean boys, right? In that culture, that's how it was. If you didn't have one, you could go and legally adopt a male child. You could do that. And that child 
chosen by you, to be adopted by you, would then become a part of your family with all of the rights, all of the privileges, and everything. But even more, even more than just a biological child. Listen to this. In Rome, at the time of Christ, there were four primary um, benefits to being an adopted child. Number one, the adopted child forfeited all rights to their former family and gained all rights of the new. In other words, you couldn't, you couldn't just say, I'm going to live in this family for a while and then go back and be a part of that family and then come back and forth. There was no going back and forth. You forfeit that prior family and become a part of the new family. Number two, you became an heir to the estate even if later on more children were born. So if you were adopted and then later on more children were, were, were born biologically, you all were equal heirs to that estate. It wasn't like, well, now I have my own, so you're, you're out of the picture. Number three, all heirs shared equally. Male, female, adopted, biological, all shared in the father's estate equally. But here's the one I want you to hear because this is so, this is so cool. Number four, I didn't use the word excited, and yeah, I, was, I was about to. By law, all debts and any past transgressions, including criminal records, was wiped. So if you had a criminal record, you had debt, you had whatever it is that you had against you, once you were adopted, that all went away. Your past was gone. Your future lied in the family that you were adopted into. Does that sound familiar? You then, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of the Lord Most High, you carry his authority as you represent his kingdom to foreign lands. Does that sound cool? You carry the very authority of Jesus Christ as you are an ambassador in foreign lands. Anybody here ever been an ambassador of Christ in a foreign land? Anybody? One? Two? We got a few, right? Trick question. You are all ambassadors of Christ in a foreign land. We don't have to go to Haiti or Africa or anywhere else to be an ambassador of Christ in a foreign land. We live in a foreign land. You are not of this world. We live in a foreign land. Think about that. We are ambassadors of Christ living in a foreign kingdom right now. If that doesn't give you pause on how we think about our lives, it should. John 18, 36, Jesus told them, my kingdom is not of this world. If he's your Lord and Savior, you are a part of his kingdom. And so this world is not. So we're children of God, heirs of the king, sent into this world in order to make Christ and his message of salvation and reconciliation known to this world. That's our job. When I asked you at the beginning, what's, what's our mission? That's it. But now let's get down, let's get down to, the, to the root of this message. 
It isn't an easy mission. It's not all a feel-good mission. The reason it's not is because we have a supernatural enemy in that fight. When we are trying to make Christ known and be ambassadors of Christ, we have a supernaturally powerful enemy, and he lives in our camp. And he has full rights to talk to us, to talk to our people, talk to our children. You don't see that in normal times of battle. The enemy is the enemy, and they stay in their camp, and occasionally one will sneak in, maybe a spy or something. The devil, the devil lives in our houses. He lives among us, and so do his demons. Paul said, Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What's he talking about there? Bottom line, Satan and his demons. That's what we do battle against. And that enemy gets to live among us. And if that sounds daunting, know this also. We have a supernatural ally in that fight. We are not left to ourselves to just figure it out and see what happens. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And a few verses later, John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. That helper is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God among you, empowering you as the body of Christ, as a believer in Christ, as an ambassador of Christ, to do not only what we see in the Bible that Christ does, but more than that. More than that. And that is our job. We've been given everything as the body of Christ to accomplish the mission that has been set before us. We lack nothing. We lack absolutely nothing to accomplish that mission. Acts 2.38, this is right after, right after Pentecost, probably the first Holy Spirit-inspired message that was ever delivered. He stands up, Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all you needed to do. So we, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you have received the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you receive Christ, you become one with him. Now, many of you, I see during greeting time, and I know this is just how we all are, we have a hard time, like, interacting with other people, right? I, like... I don't really want to, oh, like, this is when I'll go get coffee, or this is when I'll go to the bathroom, or this is when I'll, like, suddenly start fiddling with my phone during that greeting time. Because we don't necessarily all love interacting with one another, right? Especially not that one guy across the room, don't look, don't make eye contact. <laughs> that one person, you're like, I hope that person doesn't talk to me. But think about this. Not only are you one with Christ when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are one with other believers. That means you're not just acquaintances here in this church. 
you are one with one another, marching together under the banner of Christ, infilled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now look around at these people. You are one with them. Spiritually, you are one with them. They're not strangers. Believers around the world are not strangers. They're not enemies. And we need to look at each other like that. First Corinthians twelve thirteen again, Paul said, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. He underlines again and again and again how we are all a part of one body with one mission, one task. All should be pulling together. And this is a miraculous and a wonderful gift from God this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of being pulled into one body of Christ, working together, which is why Satan does everything he can possibly do to steal that away from you. He'll steal it from you. He'll twist it into something that you no longer want. He'll convince you to give it up. He'll convince you you're better off on your own. It's like the wolf going to the sheep in the flock and saying, hey, You'd be so much better over in that, in that dark woods by yourself. I'll meet you there. We laugh about it, but that's what Satan does. See all these people? Man, it's so people in here. There's people everywhere. I just like to be alone with my thoughts. We are never truly alone. You are literally never truly alone. Number one, the Holy Spirit never leaves your side, but... Who else doesn't leave your side? Satan, 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We've all probably heard that in one context or another. But think about this. If you read that, if you read 1 Peter 5, Peter is encouraging believers to serve one another to be humble with one another, to love one another, and to be united with one another. He's encouraging them to do that. And then he says, but wait, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Why would he say that? For that very reason, because Satan's going to go, come over here, I got something to tell you. Just come, I know there's safety in numbers, but come on over here. It's okay. Satan wants to isolate us all. That's why there's so much power in the body and why it is such a target of Satan wanting to get you out of this body and into another one. Humans, by nature, have always wanted to be a part of a group. The idea of packs or tribes or clubs or groups, it, it goes back to the beginning of mankind. They have always wanted that, and why is that? Why do human beings find so much need to be a part of a tribe or a group or a pack? Hmm? Purpose. Purpose is definitely one of the things. Anybody here ever heard of a completely secular, in, in secular psychology, it is a theory I'm going to see heads nod, I know that, called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anybody ever heard that? 
Let's talk about that for a second and how that relates to what Satan wants to do in your life. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a theory in psychology comprising a five-tier model of human needs. And each tier, starting at the bottom, needs to be satisfied before you can move on to the next tier. Let's take a look at this image that I've got here. Now, I don't know how well you can see that. Don't worry about the fine print. So this bottom is physiological needs, okay? Physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and the ability to reproduce your kind. That's basic, okay? This, animals fulfill these sorts of things, okay? You need those basic things before you even start thinking about the next level. The next level, safety needs, personal security, employment, right, stability, resources, health, property, some sort of this is our area, this is our turf, this is, this is my home. That's safety needs, okay? Then, once these things are satisfied, you, you move up to the next one, love and belonging, a sense of belonging to something. Friendship, intimacy, family, a sense of connection, right? Once you get those bottom three satisfied, then you can move up to esteem. Esteem, the second highest level. Respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. When you're struggling with all these things, you're not worried about your status in the community. You're not worried about having freedom Once all these things are finished, and only once they're satisfied and you're comfortable in that, do you move on to the top level. Here it's called self-actualization, the desire to become the most that one can be. That's when you start thinking about, is there something more? Can I be better? Can I do more? Is there something beyond me? Only when you've got the first five or the first four satisfied, do you even start thinking about the top one? So let's think about this. The first four levels, you can leave that off. First four levels are, are commonly called deficiency needs, meaning there's something you're lacking that you need to get and satisfy. Only the top level is called a growth need. The first four levels, actually throw that slide back up there if you could just for a second. The first four levels, I don't know if you can read them or not, but if you can, the first four levels are where as human beings, we typically define our self. It's where if somebody asks you, so what do you do? Who are you? Tell me about you. You're going to go, well, I work here. I belong to this. I do this. I do that. Rarely are we going to go, I'm a follower of the most high God, and I have a purpose in this world. Probably not going to start there. You're going to define who you are by those lower four things. And we grow up. As each one of those things, as we find a place, whether it's our family unit or a club or a group that's, that um, satisfies those things in us, that becomes our identity. That becomes who we consider ourself. That's who I am. Tribes help fill those needs. Groups, packs help fill those needs. That's why that's the battleground for Satan. He wants to get you out of the tribe you belong to. 
and into his tribe, one that he's chosen for you, one that will define all these things for you. So when it comes time to actually think, is there a higher purpose? Your higher purpose then is defined by all those things that have become yourself and have become your identity. This is why children are such a target. If you can get your children, if he can get your children to grow up finding their identity in these other things, these other segments of life, these certain packs or tribes or groups or identities, then he's got you. Because your child will never think outside of that core group, that thing that defines himself, to look for something higher. He'll look within those groups. Tribes are much more than a primitive animal invention. Okay, packs, you see animals run around in packs for safety all the time. But that's a part of the human plan from the beginning. They do define who we are. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. All the way back in Genesis, Genesis 49, 1 and 2, Jacob summons his sons and says, Assemble yourselves so that I may tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Gather together and listen, sons of Jacob. Yes, listen to Israel, your father. Those sons are then named and become the, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there's, there's more to that story. If you want to read Genesis 48, 49, to get kind of more of a full picture. But the 12 tribes individually then, they become the names of Jacob's sons. So we've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Repeat that back to me real quick. <laughs> but Jacob, who's also known as Israel blesses and prophesies a future over each one, okay? Most of them are, are what we would consider a blessing. This is, this, is, this is going to be your future. This is who you're going to be, not only as a person, but as a tribe and your offspring. This is who you're going to be. All except for Reuben, who messes up by sleeping with his father's wife and loses his inheritance, Again, read Genesis 48, 49. There's some good stuff in there. But each tribe has a separate identity and a separate future and a separate path. So tribes, packs, groups are not always a bad thing. They help keep us centered. They help give us an identity of who we are. They ground us. This is who we are and this is what we do. So it's not always a bad thing unless you find yourself in the wrong pack. You find yourself in the wrong tribe. People will often sacrifice their own personal identity in order to blend in to a tribe. I don't believe that. I don't like that. I don't like what they're doing, but these are my guys. And that's how you find otherwise good people getting sucked into doing things they would never do on their own because they're following the wrong tribe. Scripture distinctly uses the phrase body of Christ over and over and over again to demonstrate that believers are one. Your identity is with Jesus Christ. We are not meant to isolate ourselves. Think about all the devastation that COVID-19 caused. Okay, and I'm not talking about just the people who died from the virus, which is horrible. Think about the isolation that it caused. 
Think about the division that it caused. The, the, you're part of that camp, you're part of that camp. You're the no mask camp, you're the always mask camp. You're the, you're the vaccine camp, you're the never vaccine camp. You're the, think of all the division and, and isolation and, and fracturing of the body of Christ that that caused. And I guarantee Satan was laughing his tail off the whole time watching good groups of solid believers in Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus, at each other's throats. Social media, publicly, disowning friends, disowning family. Anybody know a family that got fractured over divisions in that idea? And that's just one of many things. Being a part of a group is a normal part of the human experience. You're going to join teams, clubs, you name it, to engage with people who are like-minded, people who have the same ideas as you, have the same interests, have the same hobbies. It's just a part of what we do. And when you're searching for a sense of belonging, you will engage with groups maybe that you wouldn't otherwise if you can't find your sense of belonging where it ought to be. You will find a group that will welcome you that doesn't challenge you, and you'll join that group. All of these groups, social groups, political groups, sociological groups, all these groups provide people with a sense of belonging, a sense of well-being, a sense of you belong to something bigger than you. But they all point to a deeper longing, a hole that something's not quite there that it ought to be with your relationship with God. That's where we ought to be focused. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find myself a desire with no experience in this world, let me start over again. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This world is never going to be able to satisfy every longing and every desire you have. But it's going to try. People who are outcast especially, those people who Jesus considers the least of these, those tax collectors, those sinners, all of those people, they're longing for a tribe to belong to. They're longing for a group to belong to, somebody who will accept them and not judge them for being different or being outcast. And if we don't welcome them as a church, as the body of Christ, someone else will because they're looking, they're longing for something to belong to. In my time, when I was going to school, there were, there were different groups, especially let's just go to like middle school and high school. We had goths and punks, and stoners, and, and geeks, and jocks, and, and like you name it, I can, you're going over in your head like all the different groups, right? And it was really well-defined, right? You knew who belonged to what group, and rarely was there crossover. Every now and then, you get these people who can just float between groups. Those, those guys are, I'd love to know what some of those people are doing today, because that's, that was unusual. But everybody knew what group people belonged to, 
And many times, again, people would sacrifice things that they really kind of weren't comfortable with to fit in with that group. Today, all of that stuff seems so tame compared to what's going on today. In high school, that was the beginning and the end of life. If your group cast you out or if you couldn't find a group to belong in and you were just alone in high school, it seemed like the end of the world, didn't it? But now that is child's play compared to what the enemy is doing. Satan is no longer even really trying to hide. He is out there and he is doing things in this world that were unheard of just a few short years ago. He's become blatant and obvious. Has anybody ever heard, and I know if you've been paying attention in the past, you probably have, a group called TST. Okay, there's a group called TST. And that group, TST, is growing week by week, month by month. It's growing by leaps and bounds. And TST will welcome anybody. TST is very welcome. Come be a part of our group. They have seven, stick with me if you're like, what is this? Stick with me. Seven fundamental tenets that you can find on their website, okay? I'm going to read them for you. Number one, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason, okay? Sounds all right. Number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. All right, maybe there's a little bit of a flag there. Three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should, never, one should take care never to distort scientific facts. <clears throat> one should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Number six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Number seven, every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Okay, does that sound dangerous to you? Okay, maybe there's some things you're like, I don't like the way that was worded. That sounds a little, I could see how that could be. But in general, that doesn't like, let's run screaming from it, right? What if I showed you this clip that is all about TST, which stands for The Satanic Temple? Watch this movie clip. It's a beautiful day here at the state capitol. Great day to be a Satanist. I believe it, and I'm very excited about it. We're not what you think we are. Satanic Temple was an idea between a handful of people directly confronting authority. 
This makes life fun. State officials have put up a Ten Commandments monument on government property. Satanists are demanding equal rights. I am a tax-paying member of Arkansas, and I don't want that there. They just want to irritate. The Satanic Temple says, you also need to put up our monument to Satanism. As a Satanist, I believe that confronting injustice is an expression of one's Satanic faith. You see Christian theocracy just creeping itself into our government, and it is our duty to stand up to this. We want people to evaluate the United States being a Christian nation. It's not. We are supposed to be a nation that doesn't allow the government to dictate what is appropriate religious expression. Satanists sue Missouri. If we're being sued by the Satanic Temple, we got to be doing something right. It's our goal to shut down their agenda, which is to bring death and destruction. You guys are horrible people. Is this how everyone that's different is treated? It is out of not only Satanism, but patriotism that I am motivated. Satanism is looking out for the other, because we are the other. I am following a code of ethics having fellowship with brethren, why can't that be a religion? We do indeed invoke Satan. We have gone from three people to 50,000. There's no doubt that this is my life's work. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. That's a movie clip from a, it's a documentary. It's a documentary about the satanic temple. And that is three years old. When it says 50,000 worldwide, that is multiplied exponentially now. There are satanic temples in almost every uh, state in the United States and sometimes multiples. There's one in Littleton. Do you know that? There's a satanic temple in Littleton. And they say things like, come and join us. We'll, we'll let you in. Here are some comments if you go on YouTube. Now, I want to preface this. Sometimes when we do deliverance, we talk about angels. Sometimes we talk about demons. Oftentimes we do. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ, okay? The problem comes in when we get hyper-focused on demons or hyper-focused on, on angels or the devil. Anything that we're hyper-focused on other than Satan, uh, other than Jesus, can be a problem, Okay, our focus should be on Christ and Christ alone while being aware of these other things. We are aware of the enemy. We're not afraid of him, but we are aware of him and his tricks. That's why I show you things like this. Listen to the top three, just the top three comments that we're on when you go and look at, at reviews to that movie clip. I just joined TST today. I immediately agreed with the seven tenants and read up on everything like the history and the holidays. I feel so ready to start this new chapter of my life. Second one, just became an official member. Actually, I'm glad to be a part of such an amazing religion that has no homophobia, no racism, no prejudice, etc. beliefs. And no, we do not believe in an actual Satan. Thank you. I'm not sure that's an official, <laughs> official spokesman. Number three, I have absolutely no problem with any of this. This is more American than anything I've seen from our political class. It looks like they mean serious business while having fun in the process. I also read each individual tenant and totally agree with the philosophy behind this. This is how inviting they make it sound. 
to where people just go, I want to belong to something. I felt outcast. I felt judged. I felt like I didn't belong. I belong there. They won't judge me. They won't challenge me. It's all about having fun and being a part of something else. We look at the ways that Satan is just overtly demonstrating his plans in this world. And so many times, church, I won't, let me say that, I rarely will stand up in front of you and say, boycott this company. Don't look at this company. Don't buy their products. Don't do this, although there's plenty of that out there. I leave that to you and the Holy Spirit. But if you've been watching the news at all in the last, let's just say the last six months, you know that Disney is doing outrageous things. And Disney owns half of the world, it seems like. Target stores, Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch. It's so easy to go, yeah, but I like, I like beer. And so I'm just not going to pay attention to that. There's a Target in my neighborhood, and I like the way they market and the way they do things. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of look away. Who doesn't love Disney? Who doesn't love Disney movies? So I'm just gonna not think about that. That film, by the way, is made by Magnolia Pictures. Magnolia Pictures, owned by Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and from Shark Tank, if you know him at all. I'm not going to sit up here and rail against everybody that has beliefs that don't line up with mine. That is between you and the Holy Spirit. But we need to be vigilant. We need to be aware. And we need to say, am I going to be allowing these things into my life, into my house? And worse yet, I'm going to become a part of that tribe? Or am I going to stand for Jesus? Because if we don't make the power of Christ a visible, viable part, talking about healing prayer, talking about deliverance. Pastor Scott is teaching the message next week. He's going to talk all about deliverance and our deliverance ministry. He's going to talk about Satan and demons a lot. If we don't make that a normal, visible, viable part and the power of God manifest in his people, if we don't do that on a day-to-day basis, then we are not attractive. If we are known more as the body of Christ for our judgment, our condemnation, our exclusion, than we are our inclusion and our love and our power of Christ in us, if we don't do that, someone else will. Paul wrote this to Timothy 2,000 years ago. This applies to today. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 6. I'm almost done, guys. Bear with me. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. 2,000 years ago, he said that was coming. Does that feel like today? You don't have to look very hard. And the question is, which tribe are you going to represent to this world? Are you going to represent the one that worships comfort, convenience, anything goes? 
you do you, and turn a blind eye to evil and darkness? Or are you going to represent the tribe of Jesus Christ, the line of Judah? Because you can't have both. You get to make the choice. Nobody makes that choice for you. You get to make it. And maybe more importantly, you get to make it for your children. I pray, I found this scripture that just spoke to me, and I hope it speaks to you, and it's going to be the last thing I'll read before we pray and go into communion. I pray that just sums up my life's mission. Psalm 145, verses 10 through 12. All of your works will give thanks to you, Lord, and your godly ones will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your might to make known to the sons of mankind your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. That's what I want my life to reflect. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that you give us everything we need to stand in this world. And not only to stand, not only to survive and to get through, but to be ambassadors in a foreign and hostile land. Let us go forth into this world and show your love and your mercy and your grace, but yes, also your power to those who would deny it. Let us not fall in with the things of this world and turn a blind eye towards sin, but stand against it in your name. Because your kingdom is one of love it's one of mercy, and it's one of power. Help us to display that to this world. Give us everything we need. And Father, I'll take it a step further. I pray that you bring each one of us in this room a divine appointment, a divine meeting, a divine interaction today, today, where we will have the opportunity to decide which tribe we belong to and to display your love through the Holy Spirit to this world. Father, we love you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to take communion right now. Um, the way that we do it, we have a station over here and over here, and we'll serve wine and bread and gluten-free crackers if you like that, and all you do is just dip it in the cup, and they'll serve it to you on each side. In the back, we have self-serve, which is just juice back there if you like that. Um, but as we worship on, listen Listen to the worship. Let it wash over you. We have prayer team in the back if you need somebody to pray with you for healing, for deliverance, for the very power of God to manifest in your life. That's what we're here for. Take this opportunity. Don't just listen to the worship and then leave. Let's be the body of Christ. Amen? Thank you, guys.